Hello, listener, and welcome to Storybox, a serialized fiction podcast. Welcome to your story. So, Abraham claps her hands once. What's it gonna be? You in? You blink looking between Abraham's expectant face and Ashton's stoic one. Okay, you say. I'm in. Abraham's face breaks into a grin. Ashton's face remains unchanged, but his eyes flick over to meet yours. When they meet, the corner of his mouth twitches, and his eyes flick away again. Excellent. Abraham said. I knew I liked you. Are you hungry? You start to refuse, opening your mouth to demand answers instead, but your stomach lets out a long growl before you can speak, answering for you. Abraham pushes you toward the passage. Have Grace show you to a room, and I'll have a meal sent up. You protest as she pushes you down the hall. But Abraham ignores you until you're sitting in your room in front of a big bowl of beef stew. Ashton sits across from you, using a thick piece of bread to mop up the remainder of soup in his bowl before stuffing it into his mouth in one bite. You take a few obligatory bites under Abraham's sharp eye before trying again. What does the order want me to do? You ask. Ashton leans back in his chair, stretching his legs out in front of him. Abraham gives him a disgusted look, and his legs retreat a little. Abraham said the order keeps the balance between our two worlds. He says, What I do, what we are going to do, is fix imbalances when they arise. What does that mean? The Order is a link between two worlds, one where magic exists and one where it does not. Abraham says, Once there wasn't a division between the two. We coexisted, humans, fairies, elves, whomever. We lived as neighbors. But there are always the few who become power-hungry. They used their magic to oppress those without it until friends became suspicious and neighbors became the scary stories children were told at night. A war broke out and after too much blood was shed, the Order created the border, splitting the two worlds from each other. Those without magic quickly forgot the fear they once had. Magic became little more than a story to most, but here, there are some who have never forgotten. The years of peace have only made them restless. The problem is, Ashton cuts in, over the years the border has grown weaker. Holes appear from time to time. Every time someone crosses the border, it loses its strength. Until soon, there will be nothing left. That's where I come in. You're a bounty hunter, you say. Ashton smiles tightly. 
You could call it that. And I'll be what? You ask. Your assistant. We're a little short-staffed. Crossing the border as someone without magic has a lot less of an effect than someone with magic. You don't have to bend the rules of the world to allow for your existence. Abraham says, You can imagine it's very difficult to recruit people into a secret society who tells you magic exists, but won't tell you anything about it until you join. Really, the secret society is a very flawed system. It takes years of training to be able to see past enchantments. Ashton says, You're able to do it instantly, thanks to that goblet. We'll train here until the order needs you. What happens if I refuse to go? You ask, lifting your eyebrows defiantly. Abraham shrugs. The order will stop protecting you. There's already someone out there who wants to collect their debt. And many more who won't welcome human company anytime soon. She stands, stretching her arms skyward and yawning. Have a good night, she says, then slips from the room, leaving you alone with Ashton. She acts like there's a boogeyman out there just waiting to eat me, you say. The corner of Ashton's mouth twitches. If only... You huff and scoop the remaining soup from your bowl, tired of the half-answers. Ashton sighs and reaches up to rub his eyes with the heel of his palm. The less you know about him, the better. Ashton says, Trust me. Are you saying that because you don't actually know anything about him? Ashton's jaw flexes, and when he speaks, the words barely leave his lips. I wish I knew less. Ashton stands abruptly. Get some sleep. We'll start in the morning. Before you can protest, he's gone. You stare after him, dumbfounded. Then you roll your eyes, deciding to ignore Ashton's dramatics and settle into bed. Your eyes grow heavy and sleep. Drag as you wonder. Ashton returns before the sun does. He jostles you from your sleep before tossing a pair of simple brown pants and a loose shirt on top of you. Five minutes, he says, and disappears again from your room. You groan before rolling over and falling back asleep. Cold water splashes onto you. Ice seeps into your clothes and blankets, and you awake sputtering and swearing. Ashton stands over you, an empty bucket tipped over your head. It's been five minutes. You swear at him as you reach to swipe the bucket from his hands, planning to knock him out with it, but he dodges your attempts easily. Let's go. You change, still grumbling obscenities and struggling to pull the soaked clothes from your skin, and stomp after him following him down the stairs and back into the hidden room. Abraham's desk from the night before has been shoved into a corner, and someone has spread sand over the stone floor. Ashton walks to its center and turns to you. Hit me, he says. At this moment, there's nothing you'd like to do more, but his command stops you short. Excuse me? 
His palms shoot forward and smack hard against your shoulders. The impact causes you to stumble backward. Ashton's eyes are cold and determined. Hit me. Your mind is slow and tired and you hesitate again. Ashton strikes and you fall to the sand. Anger and embarrassment heat your skin. You're wet, covered in sand, and more than sick of the cocky look Ashton wears on his face. You stand, draw back your fist, and swing towards Ashton's jaw. He raises an arm, blocking your swing easily. A jolt of pain snakes up your arm, and before you can blink, Ashton's palm slams into your stomach. Air escapes from your lungs, and you reel away from him, gasping for breath. Ashton watches you with cool indifference. Hit me again. Your hands clench into fists, and you lunge toward him. He sidesteps, and your momentum propels you past him. His hand strikes your back as you pass. Your knees crack against the floor as you stumble. Ashton lifts his eyebrows. A taunt. Frustration rips at your vocal cords and he let out a guttural scream. You feign a swing at Ashton's side, but kick at him instead. You've barely brought your foot towards him when he catches it. He tugs you forward and tosses you across the makeshift arena. You land on your side, and the sand cuts into the skin of your cheek. You groan as you roll onto your back. Ashton looks down at you. Not too bad. You let out a small bark of laughter. Are you serious? A smirk tugs at the corner of his lips, and he reaches out his hand. Could have been worse. You huff, but let him pull you back to your feet. He circles you, nudging your body into a fighting stance. When he's satisfied with your form, he comes to stand in front of you again and lifts a hand. Punch me. You raise your eyebrows in doubt, but Ashton nods and waves his hand. I promise I won't do it again. You strike his hand. Harder. You strike again. Again. And again. Each time, Ashton corrects you until you strike his hand with a resounding crack. He pulls his hand back, shaking out the pain, and grins. Good. Ashton pushes you for hours until your skin drips with sweat and bruises form on your knuckles. Your arms are filled with lead. Okay, he says finally and lets his hands fall. Your breath is coming in huge puffs. We're done. He nods once. After lunch, we'll move on to weapons. You groan and fall backwards into the sand. Hey, what's up? It's Michaela, your narrator here, and I want to say thank you for listening to episode 3 of Storybox. I hope you're enjoying this episode. It's sort of more of a transition episode to the next part of her story, but I think you're going to really like where this story ends up going. So I hope that you enjoy this episode, 
And just a few reminders to check us out on Twitter at StoryboxPod and on Facebook at StoryboxPodcast. Again, both of those social media sites are important if you want to stay up to date or if you want to vote at the end for what decision you are going to make. Again, if you tweet using the hashtag StoryboxPod, you may see your name pop up as a character on the show. There are no new characters in this episode, but we should see more coming up fairly soon. Again, thank you for listening. Let's get back to your story. The days follow this routine. Your body grows sore and tired, and more than once you wake up to a bucket of ice water. Ashton's strict schedule leaves little time to do much outside of training, but occasionally Abraham steals you away after lunch before Ashton can protest and takes you to the village under the guise of cultural immersion. Today, Abraham took you away to a small market. Stalls sit in neat rows. Owners shout out wares to passerbys. It's easier to shift between seeing the world as it is and how it appears. You are becoming used to seeing fairy tales walk. You stand before a man with goat horns and cloven hooves, toying with the bright crystals spread in front of him and letting the light catch in the pinks, blues, and oranges. Abraham slides in beside you, a stack of leather-bound books balanced in her arms. Abraham always seems to return from your shopping trips in the village with a new pile of books to read. When he finally asked her how she managed to read them all so quickly, she blinked like an owl in confusion. I'll read them eventually, she said. Now she nudges you and nods down the road to where Grace is rushing toward you, her white curls bouncing furiously. She's breathless by the time she reaches your side. Ashton is looking for you, she says. You turn back to the crystals, picking up a sharpened jade stone fitted into a gold handle. Isn't he always? He's packing up your room. He said that, she hesitates, throwing a glance to the storekeeper and lowering her voice. You have a facial business? You place the knife back down on the table. Your throat catches as you realize you're about to go hunt monsters. You turn toward Abraham, and she gives you a small nod of encouragement. Of course, you say, and push past Grace back toward the inn. By the time you make it up to your room, Ashton has stuffed your few acquired items into a bag. He tosses it toward you. Gather anything else you think you'll need, he says. We'll need to move quickly. Where are we going? You ask around the pressure in your chest. A town not too far from here. It sits on a weak point on the border. There's been rumors of human bodies appearing on the edge of town. He passes by you and out into the hallway, pausing to lay a hand on your shoulder. Don't worry, darling. You'll be fine. His face stretches into a smirk. 
and I'll be here to save you if you aren't. He heads down the stairs, a pack of supplies slung over his shoulder. You double-check every drawer to make sure you're not leaving anything behind before following after him and into the stable. Ashton has saddled both his horse and the mule you rode into town. You pat its neck, and it blinks sleepily at you. Trusting me on the mule again? You ask as you sling your pack onto its back. This time, I'll even let you steer. You force a smile, but it comes out more like a grimace. There was a few days Ashton took you out into a field to try and master the basics of riding, but you were still barely comfortable letting go of the saddle at a walk. Never mind anything faster. You swing your leg over the mule's back, landing a little more gracefully than you did the time before. What's her name? You call to Ashton as he sets your pace, leading out of town and back into the tangled branches of the forest. I've never really named her. Well, no wonder she looks depressed all the time, you say, offended on the mule's behalf. I'll call her Millie, Ashton snorts. Millie the mule. You raise an eyebrow. Yes, do you have a problem with that? Ashton gives a half-shrug, but his face is fighting off a grin. You glare at him while you lean down to pat Millie's neck again. You like that name, don't you? Millie flicks her ears, which you decide to take as a yes. You enter the tangle of trees. The day disappears behind their thick branches. The forest fingers are twisted and gnarled. Their tips brush your clothes as you pass, leaving tiny holes where they snag the fabric. The forest presses in on you, the trees growing closer together and starving the path. We're close, Ashton says, and his voice puffs out in a white cloud. The trees seem to be watching you. You step out of the forest and what you imagine was once a town stands in front of you. Wilted houses stand isolated on barren fields. Color fled with the sun, leaving the town in shades of blue and gray. There's no sound, you say, and your voice stops in front of your lips, barely reaching your own ears. We're on the edge of the border, Ashton says and pushes his horse forward. He parallels the line of the forest. You feel as if you are being pressed into a bubble. Pressure builds in your ears. There. Ashton points to a spot a few hundred feet ahead. Do you see it? You squint, but don't see anything in the dim light. You are about to tell Ashton this when the air seems to shiver. The scene beyond the forest appears, paved roads and electric lights, a quiet corner of a large city, headstones line the sky in a neat cemetery, and the next instant it's gone, and the grayscale landscape of fields returns. We'll stop here for the night, 
Ashton says as he leads you around a bend in the trees. He drops to the ground and pulls camp supplies from his saddle. We'll have to wait until morning to investigate. The entire town looks dead. I want to know what we're dealing with. You follow him, jumping from Millie's back and groaning as your feet hit the ground. Your muscles are stiff from the long ride. You can barely keep your eyes open as you help Ashton set up camp. Millie is asleep before you even take her saddle off. You plan to join her soon. This plan is shattered when Ashton says, You'll take first watch. What? He gives you an impatient look. We don't know what or who is out there looking for us, and it will be easier for you to stay up than wake up halfway through the night. Trust me. You groan, but Ashton just hands you a small blade and points to a spot down the road. I saw some boulders off the way there. They should give you a good vantage point. If you see anything strange, let me know. Ashton turns away from you and rolls out a sleeping bag. You want to protest, but know you won't get very far with Ashton. You turn on your heel and stalk back down the road. You huff as you plop yourself on a rock that looks out over the empty fields. You squint into the full moon's light, trying to make out shapes in the dark. The night threatens to drag you down into sleep. Your eyelids are filled with sand. Your head is heavy in your hands. You feel yourself slipping off. Just as you are about to go under, a song tickles your ears. A low melody floats on the trees. The wind strikes piano keys. At first, you are not sure if you are dreaming. You stand and walk a few paces toward the trees, straining to hear more. You are about to dismiss the noise when... No, there. The soft tinkling of keys floating in the wind. You step toward it, all exhaustion wiped from your body as you try to find its source. Step. The music pulls you forward. Step. A little farther from the safety of camp. Step. Deeper into the unknown. It seems to be coming from across the fields. The wind carries it toward you. The entire earth has fallen silent in its presence. Only the soft whispers of music remain. You follow the path farther, farther, until you see a solitary three-story house rise up out of a field of overgrown grass. Its walls are a rich black against the gray landscape. A single tree stands guard, limbs bare but still swaying in the wind. Your feet are still bringing you forward, and with the full moon's bright light, you think you can just make out a figure crossing the field to the house. Their gait is crooked and limped. They trip over the uneven ground. The music swells in your ears, building. Building, 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 until it goes out.
there is nothing but silence in your heartbeat. One, two, one, two. A scream pierces the air as the limping figure crosses the house's threshold and the door slams shut. Your mind and eyes connect with a snap as you realize what you saw. They were dragging a body, a person, fighting to break free. You rush forward, springing to get across the field. You travel no more than a few feet when you stop short, looking over your shoulder to where Ashton is still sleeping in the camp. You could go back and alert him, but it might lose precious moments that could make the difference between life and death. But having Ashton at your side will do a lot to increase your own odds of survival. You grip your small knife tighter in your hand. Do you go back for Ashton? Or do you hurry to the house? It's time to choose again. A or B. What do you do? Thank you once again for listening to episode three of Storybox. By the time you hear this and it's live, there will be the polls in again those last three days. You can find them both on our Twitter at StoryboxPod or on Facebook at StoryboxPodcast. So those will be closing on Saturday, March 2nd. At that point, the decision will be final and you will see the outcome of your decision in episode 4, which will be going up on March 13th. I want to thank you one last time for listening. I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.